first, um, anybody know this? School's out for the summer. And, right? <laughs> and the cinematic world has responded in epic fashion. There's like, a, have you noticed there are a ton of movies and like TV shows? Just this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, like everything gets thrown at us. Is, what? It is, right? Doc, when it started, I think anyway, with Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. Anybody see that? We got it. Top Gun this weekend, right? Downton Abbey just dropped. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Stranger Things just launched. Like, this is, this is escapist cinema at its best. Exactly. I mean, there are days, th- this has been a week where I think I've needed it. Amen. <laughs> there are days when it feels like the world can use an escape. Like just a time to take a deep breath, breath to slow down, eat some popcorn maybe. Turn your brain off and chill out. <laughs> Shows like Downton Abbey or Obi-Wan, they're like Calgon. They're made... <laughs> to take us away. They pull us out of the hurt and the the ickiness of the real world, and they let us inhabit a world with a happy ending, at, at least for a time where everything ends well. Movies like this, they actually follow a formula that has been around um, since before Jesus was born. Like, for real, in the literature and the theater world, we, we talk about the Aristotelian structure, the Aristotelian structure, because, and we call it that because it was first named for who? Aristotle, right, way back in the fourth century BC, Aristotle was defining some of the, the plays that, and, the, and, and the epics that he was reading, and, and it's basic form, you all know this, even if you don't know, you know it. The Aristotelian plot structure at its simplest form has a beginning, a middle, and a end an end. And typically, even if there's like danger and heartache along the way, things at the end are tied up with a nice, neat, tidy little bow. (laughs) Conflicts are resolved, problems are solved, and we leave the theater or the cinema content and happy with the fact that everything is right in the world. The good guys win, the bad guys get what's coming to them. And I think that's why we're drawn to these movies, right? Especially in times when the world is so hard, when we're keenly aware how often it is that things do not end nicely in the real world. There are very few tidy bows in my life. So it's nice to escape every now and again, to seek comfort in a world where everything does work out, where in the end things are as we wish they would be. And we've been talking about the prodigal son during Easter and, and, and some of the parables that end with lost things being found. And did you notice that Jesus' parables about lost things, they follow the classic Aristotelian structure right down to the happy little bow, beginning, middle, and end. Like take, for example, the parable of the lost sheep. So in the beginning, a shepherd loses his what? That's your beginning. In the middle, the shepherd leaves the 99, and he what? He searches for the sheep. That's the bulk of, that's the middle of the story. And then in the end, the shepherd finds the sheep and throws a 
party. Yeah, you got this. All right, so here's the other one. The, 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 the woman, the parable of the lost coin, right? This, you, I think this is your test now. We, we just study the material. Here's your quiz. In the beginning, the woman what? Right, she lost her coin. In the middle, she what? Searches for the coin. And then the end, she finds the coin and a party. You got this. And that's the other thing, by the way. Comedies, and, and when we're talking about like literature and drama, comedy doesn't mean it's funny. Comedy means it ends happily. That's the difference between a comedy, happy ending, tragedy, not so much, right? So a comedy, historically, traditionally, they end with a feast or a wedding. If you look back, historic, like how many romantic comedies? How do they end? With a wedding. A lot of times, right? But then Jesus, though, when he's telling these parables, he flips the script. So with the parable of the prodigal son, and Shauna talked about this last week, right? So in the beginning, we got this, the father loses his son. And then in the middle, well, that's where Shauna reminded us no one (laughs) searches for the son, except perhaps who? God, right? God calls, and the son comes to himself. And then in the end, the father finds his son, and what? Throws a party. There's a pattern, (laughs) right? Aristotle would have been proud. Only that's not the end (laughs) of this one. It's not the end of the story. The father and the younger son are enjoying their happy Aristotelian ending feast. Maybe they both got bows on their heads, but the older son won't come in. The father begs him, come and feast. But the son cries out, let's hear it, older siblings, it's not fair. And then this. This is Luke 15, verses 31 through 32. These are the final words of the story, the final two verses of chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for finding us always. On days when we feel lost and hopeless, you do not abandon us. Weeks when sometimes this world feels lost and hopeless. You do not abandon us. So today we pray that we might hear your voice calling to us. That we might come to ourselves, like this world might come to itself. That we might find ourselves in you today. And in your Son, Jesus Christ, and in your Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jesus did this crazy thing, right? He set, up, he set up a pattern, and then what did he do? He broke the pattern. Like, we think the story is over. Something that was lost has been found, and there's a party. Only this time, we're reminded at the end, two things were lost. Two sons were lost. The younger brother and the older brother. And the father does go searching after his older son. He didn't search for the younger son, but he searches for the older son. He walks out of that party looking for that older son, and he does find the older brother sulking outside the door, and the father invites him in, reminds him, everything that I have is yours. It always has been. We have to celebrate. Come in. But does the older son come in? 
Does he join the party? Who, who says, yeah, he does? Anyone? Who says, no, he doesn't? More of us. But ultimately, we don't know. We don't know if he goes in, right? Because Jesus doesn't end the story. He ends it with the invitation and the reminder of why there's a party. But Jesus doesn't add the bow. <laughs> and kind of, he takes a sledgehammer to Aristotle <laughs> and his structure. He doesn't end it. He just leaves us hanging. In fact, Jesus leaves it to his audience to provide the end to the story. Remember, he's speaking to older brothers, the Pharisees and the keepers of Jewish law, the ones who know their Bible stuff, the ones who do all the church things. Jesus tells these parables in response to their question, why would you eat? Why would you have a feast with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, why would you feast with younger brothers? And in this scenario, especially for those of us, by the way, who actually go to church on Memorial Day, and, and when there are perfectly good lakes in Missouri to vote and fish and swim in, in this scenario, we are the older brothers. Right? We're following the rules. We're observing the Sabbath. And so Jesus leaves it up to us to decide, will you go into the party? to decide if you will feast with the younger brother. Right? Us. That's the genius of this parable. The parable of the prodigal son isn't meant to be nice and tidy. It isn't meant to be escapist. It isn't meant to send us into the world happy with the happy ending we just experienced. Oh, all is nice in the world. I mean, that's, by the way, the parable of the prodigal, or the parable of the younger son, that gives us a bow if we just focus on him, right? And that's, I think, why we like it. That's why we forget the rest of the story. That's why we focus on the parable of the younger son. We were lost. The father sought us out. Now we're found. Let's eat, <laughs> right? Beautiful. The world is happy. Beginning, middle, end. But the parable of the older son <laughs> ends differently. We were lost. The father sought us out, found us, but, are we going to eat? Beginning, middle, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> That's why we don't talk much about the older brother. <laughs> That's why we like the parable of the younger son, because the parable of the older brother is about us. Now, it's about real life. The parable of the older brother forces us into the story, and then it forces us to end the story. You see, ultimately, the parable of the younger brother is about what God's grace has done for us. The parable of the older brother is about what we're going to do in response to God's grace. The parable of the younger brother is Aristotelian, the parable of the older brother is Brechtian. And I'll tell you what that means. <laughs> so Bertolt Brecht, he was a German playwright. He was a director in the first part of the 20th century. He lived through two world wars. He fled Hitler in Europe from country to country until eventually he ran out of countries. <laughs> and he made it to the United States in 1941. He worked briefly in, in Hollywood as a, as a screenwriter, but after the war, he was blacklisted during the Cold War. 
watched by the FBI because this German in our, in our community and, and, and in Hollywood, no less. And so eventually he had to move back to Germany because it got so uncomfortable here where he died in 1956. Life wasn't all tied up in a nice, neat bow for Brecht. Really ever. Maybe that's why he didn't write plays with happy endings because he didn't witness a life with very many happy endings. There was no beginning, middle, and end to the persecution that he witnessed. It just kept going in different places, in different forms. The names may change, but the story remains the same. He saw a world in which the people in power, the older brothers, were intent on keeping the younger brothers away from the table. A world that was hurting and destroying himself. He saw a world that needed to change. And he realized, he said, the way we've been telling stories for thousands of years, it didn't help create change. Instead, these Aristotelian, happy ending, everything neat and tidy melodramas that everybody loves, they only make us forget the trouble, the pain, the war, the problems, the oppression. See, things are going to work out. We don't have to do anything. Have some more popcorn. So Brecht, he didn't like happy endings. He didn't want his plays to end happily. He didn't do bows. And he never let us forget the real world. He constantly reminded everybody in his audience of the very human troubles that were happening in the world. And at the end of the play, it was left to the audience to resolve the problem. He left it to his audiences to find the sheep, the coin, the brother. And that's what Jesus is doing at the end of these parables. He's leaving it to us to resolve the story, leaving it up to us to decide, are you going to eat at the table? Pharisees, are you going to sit down and eat with these tax collectors, keepers of the law? Are you going to break bread with these sinners because you're all forgiven? You're all welcome. The only difference between you now is that these tax collectors and sinners, they joined the party. And you're sulking outside the door. Luke then kind of mirrors Jesus with the story of Jesus telling these parables, right? At least at first, because we don't know. Did the the Pharisees sit down after they heard Jesus' parable? Did the keepers of the law understand? Did a light bulb go off? Did they accept his invitation to finish the story? Did the Pharisees and the keepers of the law and the sinners and the tax collectors all put nice tidy bows on their heads and have dinner? Did they break bread? We, We don't know. At least not yet. Jesus Jesus continues with some parables for the disciples and then they begin to make their way to Jerusalem. We never really hear how the Pharisees and tax collectors responded until we learn that not only did they not join the party, but they killed the host. But even then, the party ain't over, right? The party isn't over because on the third day, Jesus did what? He rose. He defeated death, and he kept on teaching. He kept on dancing. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that he kept teaching and eating with those tax collectors and sinners and other disciples for 40 days. And in case you were counting, 40 days was Thursday. Ascension Thursday. The day Christians the world over and throughout time have celebrated Jesus' return to the Father. We know that Jesus met with the disciples. He ate with the disciples. Do you all know what he ate with them before he ascended? 
fish, of course. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Sunday school answer, right? If, if it's a person, it's God. If it's a food, it's fish. Now you know. And then he ended with some prob- promises to the disciples and us, some instructions to the disciples and us. So this is the story of Jesus' ascension. These are the final words, not just of chapter 15, but these are the final words in Luke's gospel. All right, this is the end of the story. And we'll see, is it a choose-your-own-adventure? This is the end of the story of Jesus' life on earth. This is Luke 24, 44 through 53. Then he said to this is after they ate broiled fish. He said to them, the disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God the end. Everything was true, he says. The Hebrew Bible, your Bible, the Old Testament, the things I taught you, my life, my death, my resurrection, all of it true. See the scars, he'd said, I died. See me eating, I am alive. And now I'm going back to the Father. He said, remember, I told you everything was true, right? I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a feast for you. The question is, are you going to come in? Are you going to join the party? That one's up to you. How do you say yes? How do you say yes, I'm coming in? Jesus tells us what they're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do, right? You continue my mission. You continue the story. You proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in my name. You share the good news of my life, death, and resurrection, not just to the Jews, he says, not just to Jerusalem, but to all nations throughout time. Because he says, and now forgiveness and repentance, or repentance and forgiveness of sins are going to be preached to all nations. And then he disappears. So does Luke tell us if that happened? Luke doesn't. The gospel of Luke doesn't. <laughs> Jesus says, though, fear not, I'm not leaving you alone. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I don't, I don't got it. <laughs> The advocate, no, that's why you told the Holy Spirit, I'm cold, no. <laughs> the comforter says it's going to come and the Spirit will clothe you in power, power enough to finish this story. So Jesus invites the disciples to finish the story, just like he invited the Pharisees and tax collectors to finish the parable of the older brother. Luke doesn't tell us if they did in fact do this, He doesn't tell us whether the disciples proclaimed repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. No, at least not in the gospel, right? That's why Luke needed a part two, like Top Gun part two, right? The book of Acts, if you weren't aware, is Luke's part two. 
But in the gospel, Luke didn't give us the ending. They just waited joyfully. And we wait, (laughs) wanting to know, are they going to do it? So why didn't he finish the story? Why didn't Luke finish the story? Because he learned how to tell a story from the best, from Jesus. Especially if you want your listeners, your readers, your disciples to actually do something after they hear the story. So Luke, he doesn't tell us whether repentance and forgiveness of sins were proclaimed to all nations because we're meant to finish the story. We're meant to do something. And we know if you were alive in the last week or two weeks or three weeks or gracious, you know that all the nations still don't know the story. We know that our nation still doesn't know the story. We know some members of our families that still don't know the story. And because there are people that we still won't eat with, like the older brother, like the Pharisees, we don't know the whole story. It's been a hard week, a devastating week filled with unimaginable horror. Like, am I the only parent, grandparent, friend who, I I, I found myself sighing a sigh of relief when the semester ended. Like, I mean, when I was a kid, anybody else here, well, we survived another school year. I used to say that. That means it, didn't, it wasn't literal when I said it when I was a kid. And I knew the odds of that happening to my kids in their school is very low, and yet I still had this moment of, they made it. Past few years have been hard. We've, we've had to cancel feasts because they might be deadly. We've had to eat alone because it wasn't safe otherwise. We've been divided for so long now, not wanting to eat with the other side. We just keep finding more reasons not to eat with each other, not to enter the feast. And maybe it's where you come from, where I come from, what your bumper sticker says, how I dress, the color of our skin still the clothes we wear, how we identify, who we love, or because we worship on different mountains. Or because I want your resources, or I want your country, or your money, or your job, or your house. And we're not just refusing to go to the feast, we're killing the hosts, and we're killing the guests, we're killing each other, and we're killing ourselves. The story's not done. The nations don't know the story. We don't know the story. Or we've forgotten it. We never knew it. But the good news is that the story isn't over. The good news is that Jesus did invite us to finish the story with him. The good news is that the door is still open and we are invited to the feast. The good news is like like the older brother, we have a choice. We can walk out these doors. We can walk out like we're walking into the feast, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins to all people, including ourselves. Or with all the hard stuff out there, with all the dismal realities that we're dealing with, with the hurt and the anger 
We can just go catch a movie with Aristotle. (laughs) Pretend that nothing's wrong for a while and go about our lives doing nothing. It's up to us to finish the story. Amen?